Hey, hey. How many people enjoy the fire in Ashley Abercrombie's belly? That's the best part of my week, I gotta tell you. Well, uh, excited to get to be with you uh, here today. Um, as you can see, we are talking about the Money Makeover series. So we're, uh, we're doing a little series here about finances, about money, uh, which I got to be honest, I love talking about. Uh, okay, I guess that's funny. It wasn't meant to be funny, but it was, I suppose. So I, I do, I love talking about money. I think, it's a, I think it's an important topic. I actually love talking about money in church. Um, I think it's mostly a taboo subject, a time that, uh, you know, like, I, I'm so, are you good? Do you have, are you organized? So I have all my notes here. Okay, I, I like, wish the table were bigger. I'm I could so use, sorry. I could spread I, out. This was a very intense little puzzle happening up here. <laughs> it was great. Um, but I, I, I love the, I love the fact that we're okay to talk about taboo subjects, right? You're not supposed to talk about money, but I like talking about money. Um, to be honest, it has the tightest grip on me more than almost anything else. And I think a lot of us are that way. Uh, so nothing in my life has taught me more about my faith, about my trust, about what I value than my relationship with money. And so, uh, you know, it's caused me a lot of ups and downs in life. And, you know, there's uh, my dad likes to say, you know, I've lived without money and I've lived with money. It's better with. So I tend to agree that, uh, you know, so what we're, gonna, what, what we're talking about is what do we do with our relationship? What do we do with money? Because I feel like a lot of times, myself included, financial things um, can be a little bit difficult, a little bit complicated, um, confusing. Um, perhaps there's um, a little bit of fear involved or some kind of complication. Maybe, you know, you're old enough like me to go like, I shouldn't be, I should have this figured out by now. Like, so you get to a certain point where things are a little too complicated and so you feel like since you just haven't figured it out, it's easier to just hide or stick your head in the sand and just kind of avoid it. Um, the thing that I like to, t- why I like to talk about money is because I believe everybody has what it takes inside of them to make moves in the right direction to get traction to change the trajectory of their lives when it comes to how they handle finances. Perhaps not easy, but simple. There are some things that we can do that we can learn to unlock something. And uh, like, maybe you're like me, you've, look, none of us has a lack of information, right? We all have enough access to information. We just don't do it sometimes. So maybe you're like me, you've sat in enough things, heard enough things a million times, but maybe today will be the time that will unlock some small piece that's going to change something for you. So that's why I like to talk about it, because every opportunity is an opportunity for change and for shift. And so we're in a... Do you want to say no, something? Okay. I'm just going to take over. Please. Okay. I already did take over, apparently. So we're in this three-week series, right? We talked last week a little bit about generosity. Uh, Danielle was kind of unlocking our kind of... Um, relationship with the idea of generosity. Today we're going to be talking about wisdom, like wise living with our finances. What does wisdom look like that builds the financial house that we have? And then next week, we're going to be talking about some mindsets and mentalities. Paul's going to be here. I'm talking, he'll be downtown as well, so everybody's going to get him. Um, So he'll be talking about some mindsets and stuff. Uh, An interesting kind of take on a passage that most of us are super familiar with, so I think you're going to want to hear that. So um, one of the things today, we're talking wisdom. So I love to talk about this because my personal story, I've got a lot of 
kind of relationship with dealing with my finances. Like I said, a lot of ups and downs. And so um, our personal story is we've spent a lot of time kind of wrestling with this and learning how to live this way. We've been out of debt for 10 years, which was a long, slow grind to get there. Um, So we'll talk about all of our foolish things that we've done in the past. Um, But we've spent a lot of time getting out of debt. We spent a lot of time building an emergency fund, doing some of these really boring adulting practices um, that allowed us to do some things in our life, to be prepared for some storms that came our way, to allow us to make some decisions spiritually, not financially, because of discipline that we didn't even know we needed that was being built after making some wise choices and some long, slow steps in the same direction. So um, those were about like doing hard work, being prepared so that when the right time came, we would be able to make the right decisions that lined up with our value systems, things that we say we value, because that's, that's what we're talking about. Like we, I talked about this a, a while back, like where you lack maturity adds structure and accountability, right? So um, this was structure and accountability so that we could behave the way we wanted to behave, the ways that we kind of ascribed to and valued. So... I love the idea of freedom. I love the idea of being able to operate in freedom and about, I don't mind learning how to pay a price now, a small price now, to experience tremendous freedom later. So that's one of the reasons why this subject's important to me. Matt, I finally let my you turn. go. Okay. You've so, got 30 so it seconds. An, it's an important, sub- it's an important subject for me too. You know, uh, I grew up in a household of four boys. So my parents had four boys. I was the youngest of four. And my dad was a milkman. Believe it or not, uh, there used to be people who would come to your house and deliver milk. And probably in those days... This was in the 1700s? This was in the 1700s. Horse and buggy. That's right. (laughs) But uh, in today's dollars, he probably made somewhere in the ballpark of 25,000 bucks trying to raise four boys. And my mom did not work outside of the house. And so I remember, uh, you know, as a kid... You're just a kid. That's life, right? You don't think about our work. You know, you really don't think about as a kid, it's a struggle. You think about what we're doing and the fun and the games. But for the parents, there's lots of difficult choices that they had to make. And I remember, we're going to talk probably a little bit about, but you may be familiar with Dave Ramsey. They were Dave Ramseying envelopes before Dave Ramsey was out of diapers, right? <laughs> so uh, because they were an envelope family. Uh, but I learned a great deal about how to manage money and how to steward that money because that's exactly what they did. Now, when I was in junior high, my dad did get a better job, was able to save, and but because of the fact that he had, they had created this discipline, they socked away an incredible amount of money that, you know, my mom has a comfortable retirement and there's likely to going to be money after she goes that she can pass down, um, all because of the fact that they put in motion these budgetary uh, principles early on. Now, it's interesting, maybe it's interesting to me only, but uh, it's interesting to me that uh, that in this context, I actually enjoyed uh, thinking about money. And so I actually have been in the financial services business. I was in the, in the business from 1983. How's that for all you people? 1983. You were six when you started working. I was, I was. Um, uh, until five years ago when I joined the church. Uh, and still, I look after money for the church. So, so to be honest, I've been dealing with money and money principles for a long time. And so it has been a career choice for me. It's something I enjoy. It's principles that I think are critical and important. So uh, that's why I like it. 
Yeah, and I mean, I have a little bit of financial background. I, I got a degree in finance. I did work as a tax accountant for a long time, and so I actually like the idea of numbers, and that has served me, even though I've been in lots of other professions that have nothing to do with that. Um, that that education and some of those things have served me in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think that that's what makes you capable of being able to follow easy principles. I think discipline and decision is that. Um, but um, I I just I do kind of love the topic as well. But you know, God has a lot to say about our finances. I mean, you've probably heard some of these stats if you've been in church for a long time, but there's uh, over 2,000 verses that talk about money and possessions in the Bible, which is contrasted to like 500 on prayer, 500 on faith. About 15% of what Jesus talked about was about money and possessions. Um, About one in seven verses in the New Testament is about money and possessions. So why does God have so much to say about that? And one of the things I, one of the reasons is I believe Everybody can relate to this. We all have to interact with this, and we all understand that there is this give and take, this relationship, and our understanding of this will change things for us. How we relate to God actually is connected to how we relate with money. And um, how we heed wisdom in these areas can actually contribute to our thriving. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but yeah. So, and I think one of the things about money is, is that probably for most people, it is the thing that is the easiest to become idolatrous about. We make money or a goal of money or a number for retirement as our, as our God, right? That that becomes the most important thing. So I think that's why there's 2000 verses because this has been an issue since the beginning of mankind and will likely be an issue until Jesus comes back again, right? Um, and, you know, there's interesting, uh, interesting verses in the Bible about, uh, about money, and, uh, the, and some of them are confusing. The idea of it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom, or, you know, Jesus tells that guy who shows up who's got money, well, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and then come follow me, and he's like, uh, I don't know. He sort of disappears, right? And um, and I think that the the point of those verses is where your trust is, right? And I think I think part of what Jesus challenges us to do, not only in the New Testament but also every day in our lives, is to is to challenge us to put our trust not in our wallet or not in our bank balance but to put our trust in him. You know, life has ups and downs and ebbs and flows, and chances are I'm old enough to have done this, and many of you uh, will probably experience this in your life. There will be times in your life where you will have great jobs and good money, and then you will go through a season where it's not very good, and then you'll go through a season where it's good. I mean, very few people manage their entire life going like this right? It goes like this, right? And part of being wise with money is to be able to anticipate, well, or to have the the resources or know what to do in these moments. And that's sort of some of the practical stuff that we're going to get into. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about the why? I know that's a big thing for you. So, Well, I think, you know, for me, I think Danny touched a little bit about we know the things that we should do and we don't do them. I actually have a story which I know... I should eat better and exercise, right? 
but I also know that I'm going to have a burger and take a nap today, right? So, so the fact... I think that sounds like a great idea. So the fact that you know something is not enough to change your behavior. And, and for me, I think, for me, a technique, and it may be a technique that you don't need, right? But it certainly is a technique that I need. For me, I need to have a big why. I need to have a reason that is important enough for me to make the trade-off decisions that I need to make, right? That uh, when, when, the, when our kids, we have two sons, when our kids were younger, our big why was to get them through college without debt. Uh, we wonder that now, but now that they're out of college, it's like, was that the right thing? But that was our big why. And, um, but but it, it changed where we lived, and it changed what vacations we took, and it changed other things that were important for us to make sure that we could put money toward that. So for me, I think it's always important for me to have an understanding, to have a motivation, something that's so big that it's going to get me to think about whether I'm going to do this or that, what, how I'm going to make those choices. And certainly here in New York, we think about what apartment we're going to live in or what neighborhood we're going to live in and, uh, and how stretched we get in doing those things. I mean, I think, I think a big why is an important thing to, to sort of use as a filter. Yeah, probably, probably nowhere better than New York do you learn how to count the cost early on, right? I mean, like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Sing it. That's for, well, sing I'll it. Come spare on, you it. all. Um, but, but the, like the Bible, Bible talks about this in Luke 14, 28, it says for which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether or not he's got enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid that foundation and is not able to finish, everybody will see and begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Okay. New Yorkers, how much do you judge your friends who don't make it? Right. They didn't count the cost. They didn't realize what it was going to take to be here. And so it's one thing if you choose for, you know, for reasons that go somewhere else, but you have to count the cost when you want to do something big. That's, there's a why attached to that. And so we want to get to some of that today. So we're talking wisdom stuff today. We're going to talk practical tips and tools, and I want to make a differentiation between wisdom and commands, right? Because there's some things in the Bible that are commands that God says, look, you need to do this because if you don't, it violates principles and it violates the way I've set up the world to work. And then there's wisdom. Do this or you're stupid, right? <laughs> you don't have to do it, but you can be stupid if you want, right? So wisdom, the antithesis all throughout the Bible to wisdom is foolishness. That's just what it is. So for example, if you were training for a marathon, no one would think it was foolish of you to be doing the discipline of training, of learning how to run, of getting your body prepared to be able to take on that challenge when the time was coming. So it would not be against the rules to put on a backpack of bricks and run that race. But if your goal was to do so with the least amount of bodily harm and the fastest time, that would be very foolish to do. So wisdom says, don't do that. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Like, I was thinking about this. Sorry, guys, this isn't in there. But um, Proverbs 3, 21 to 24 says, My son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. 
That is what is available to you if you take wisdom seriously and act according to wise principles. So here's another one. Proverbs 15.22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So that's what we're here to do today. There's a little bit of counsel. You don't have to take our advice, which is fine. Um, But this is going to be some wisdom that could potentially change some things for you, could shift some things for you, and that's what we want to get to. So we're going to talk some practical things, probably subjects that you're all familiar with. We're going to start out with debt, which is a fun one. So Matt, you speak for God, right? Um, So here's your first question. Is having debt a sin? Next question. No, no so, so, uh, so first off, let me say, no shame in the room. God's grace is enough to cover all of this, all right? So the answer to is debt a sin. Technically, debt is not a sin. Not even technically. Debt is not a sin. It's a symptom, right? Now, there are reasons. I think, I think there are strategically good reasons to take on debt, right? If you're going to buy a house or buy an apartment or some other major thing like I'm going through college and I need to take on debt in order to do that, we could have a discussion about what college and given what you want to do and whether that's a good trade-off or not for that college and all that other stuff. But generally speaking, strategic debt like that is something that if you enter into it, eyes wide open and understand what the ramifications are on the other end, then I think it could be good. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't want to buy an apartment that the monthly mortgage plus the taxes plus the maintenance fee is going to exceed what it is that you're paying today to a point where you can't afford food. That would be dumb, right? But people do that all the time, you know. Uh, But then there's non-strategic debt, lifestyle debt, accidental debt, inadvertent debt, right? Again... That sounds foolish to me. Inadvertent debt? accidental debt? Well, I know, and that's the thing. So, so what ends up happening to a, to a lot of us, and, and again, no shame here. What ends up happening to a lot of us, we're in New York, there's things to do or there's expenses that suddenly come up. We decide we want to move, and suddenly in order to move, it's a $10,000 cost for the first month, last month deposit in a moving van, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm making this move to save $500. It's going to cost a month, but it's going to cost me 10,000 bucks to do that. Let's try to figure this out, right? Those are, those are challenges. Or even worse, uh, we casually just spend more than we make. And it's not much. Not, it's not a big difference the first month or the second month or the third month. But now we have set ourselves up where if we make X and we're always spending X plus Y, and now we're used to it, that is a treadmill that is very, very hard to, to, to get out. I think that, uh, I don't know who said this, maybe it was another Dave Ramsey-ism, which was, it's easy to wander into debt. And, and, and that's what I'm talking about. You wander into, into it. You, you eat out too much, or you go to a concert, or you buy boots, or you go on vacation, and suddenly, you know, it's a couple of hundred bucks, 300 bucks, 500 bucks, the dog needs to go to the vet, that's another 500 bucks, all these, you know, all these other things. And suddenly you realize that you're underwater, right? And you can wander into debt, but you can't wander out, right? You need to make hard decisions. And I think in those situations, you're, I mean, obviously, you're not going to change your tithing pattern, 
but you are going to change other things about how you spend money to get yourselves out of that debt. That is the smartest, best thing that you can do when you enter into that is to figure out how you're going to get yourself out of it. Because credit card debt, unless you're going to a loan shark, there's no more expensive debt that you can have. Uh, And eliminating that is the best thing you can do. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of our story. Uh, we we wandered into a little bit of debt early on. Um, and some of it was, you know, the kind of decisions that you feel like you have to make. Like, I mean, I remember, sorry, I didn't talk to you about Aaron this. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Get your Instagram stories out. That's right. Um, so, well, so when, when we first got married, uh, Danielle was a professional ballroom dancer and traveling around the world and competing, well, around the country. Our world and um, competing, and um, it was a it, it was at a place in her business. Maybe you've been here in the startup world where um, she didn't quite have the income to offset the cost of travel and the all of the hotels and coaching that she had to do and all that kind of stuff. And so um, that was running at a deficit, and so we just kind of racked up a little bit of debt. That happened. Um, more before we got married, and then I married that debt. I had some of my own dumb decision. That wasn't a dumb decision per se, um, but I mean, like, it was? Okay, it was a dumb decision. I didn't know if I could, but we were definitely in it together. That is for sure. Um, so, well, I mean, I, I like, I had, a, I had a system that I put in my Saturn in the 90s that was, oh, yeah. Well, I, so I grew up in a... No wonder, no wonder you were able to catch Danielle. Yeah, uh, darn right. System in the Saturn. Wow. I am a catch. I am a catch. <laughs> so I grew up in a, it doesn't matter how much it costs, it matters how much it costs a month world, right? So, and so I didn't think about, I wasn't counting the overall cost. I was just counting like, what's this going to make my bottom line for my month do? And so that changed some things for me. But uh, there is a verse in the Bible, again, wisdom thing. From Proverbs, it says uh, 22.7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So when we decided that we were going to aggressively get out of debt, we entered into this process. Um, early on, we had like just got married and decided to hunker down. And it took us three years to get out of debt. It was three long slogging years of doing this. But I did not feel free. I felt like a slave to Chase or whoever the heck else it was that I was paying. Um, and... It is absolute, I cannot, there is nothing that you could tell me to convince me to go back into debt, ever, because I have experienced the freedom on the other side of not being that slave anymore. And so um, I know that it might seem daunting, and I know for a lot of people that, especially with the student loan world out there, things are big, and they'll be around so long that you'll name them and all that stuff, but... The process of le- we'll get it later. Uh, the process that you that of doing this is absolutely worth the time and the energy and the effort. So I'm going to talk about um, we're going to talk about the B word in church now, um, budgets, and uh, this is one of I this is what I think is the most critical tool. This is the most important thing that you have at your disposal to be able to work any kind of plan, any kind of system, is a budget. What's amazing to me, I was thinking about this this morning. As a church, you expect us to have a budget so that we can be wise stewards of the money that comes in here. You would never think it was responsible if we just YOLO'd the money that came in here and, you know, whatever I want's fine, and we had no budget. 
Every company that's out there, you expect to have a budget. They have to have a plan for what they're doing with their money. You would, they would go bankrupt instantly. They would never make it in the stock exchange if they did not have a plan and did not have a budget. However, for some reason in our own personal lives, we think it's totally okay to never do this. And we wonder why we were not able to get the traction that we're able to get. Well, here's the big secret. It's very simple. You need a budget. You need a budget. So the budget for me, interestingly enough, even though with a finance background and loving numbers and all that stuff, was something I really repelled against. I didn't like the idea. It sounded like lack of freedom. It sounded like restriction. It sounded like um, you're going to, like, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do with my money. I need this speaker system in my Saturn. (laughs) So this was, I, I didn't like this idea. I didn't like the idea of a budget. And so we started doing it. And it was, I got to be honest, it was, a little, it was a little bumpy at first. But what we learned is that the budget allowed us unbelievable freedom in every area that we put our finances. Every area. Imagine that every dollar you spent was completely 100% guilt-free. Every dollar. That's what a budget does for you. I don't care what's on your budget. I just care that you have a budget and you have a plan. If you want to spend all of your money in one place and I think that's a dumb place, that's fine. As long as you know what you're doing with your money and you're behaving according to the way you want to behave. You get, this is the wisdom thing. You get to choose what you do with your money. But you have to have a plan or else you'll constantly be guessing. Or if things are managing to work out for you, I promise you they are not going as quickly or as effectively in the direction that you want to go without a plan. The plan will find money for you that you didn't know that you had. And so if you want to raise, get a budget. You will find money. So we use budget for all kinds of things. Um, It took us a long time. I think we did it by paper. I think you should do it by paper for a long time. It takes about, this is realistically, it takes three months to get, to get a budget right because you're going to mess it up. It's going to be hard. You're going to screw it up a lot. And as you screw it up, you're going to say, this doesn't work. I'm failing. And it's not going to, it's going to just discourage you. So you need to stick with it. Three months. If you go on the Dave Ramsey website, you can just search Dave Ramsey budget forms and you'll find all kinds of paper forms that'll list out all the ideas that you never thought to think of. It'll have things like mortgage and lawn care on it. So just delete those because we don't live in a place like that, but it'll have most of the things that you need on there. Right, So get a plan and start working through those things. And then think through all of the other things in your life. We use something um, often called sinking funds, which is an idea like, hey, you want to buy, I want to buy a couch. Let's say for the sake of argument, it's 500 bucks. I want to buy it in a year. And so I save 500 divided by 12 months per month. Let's say it's $600. So it's easier math, $50 a month. (laughs) Math's over here, 50. Yeah, never mind. Okay, so 600 bucks. I would, whatever, it doesn't matter. So 50 bucks a month, and then at the end of the year, you've got $600, you use the money. We are old school, like your folks, they'd be proud. We're envelope people. So I actually put cash in envelopes. I put money away every month, and I need the toddler rules of, of the envelopes to say, like, if there's money in there, you can spend it. If there isn't, you can't. 
right? So that's what, the, that's what the envelopes do for me. So we put, and I have to make decisions. I don't walk around with a bunch of cash in my pocket. I choose beforehand that we're going to go spend money. So I look in the envelope, I find it, I take the money, I go to the store, I buy some stuff. So I can be a little bit more intentional because we have a certain way we want to live and that's worked for us. And we've gotten very comfortable with that. What it's done for us is that as we have hit various things, like you said, job changes, Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Statistically speaking, everybody has a major financial event in their life every 10 years. That's fun. So if you haven't yet, buckle up. Um, but what, that's, what, that hap- what happened for us is when we got on a budget, we got out of debt, and we were able to, like, when I was doing hair, and we, things were good, and I got approached to be able to join a, a church team and get into ministry vocationally, and that was something that we'd, I'd always wanted to do. If, I, if we didn't have an emergency fund and didn't have a plan, I wouldn't have been able to make, I would have made a financial choice, not a spiritual choice. But we had the discipline and the plan in place so that we could make a different kind of decision. That helped us be able to stay in New York. Part of our story is something, we had an event a few years ago that probably should have taken us out, but because we had a plan and an ability to do so, we knew how to live inside of the storm so that we could make it. I think one of the things uh, about budgeting, though, especially if you're, Uh, married or engaged and you're anticipating being married is that the idea of budgeting takes place with a partner in that sense, right? You can't have competing priorities. You can't have uh, competing approaches. You sort of have to figure out what's going to work for you. And it may be that, you know, Danny said it can take three months because you're going to fail. You're going to make bad decisions until you start to get the habit of making good decisions. But I also think that when you're, uh, when you're married, uh, you've got to make sure that there's harmony within both of you in terms of the approach that you're going to take. I mean, uh, uh, this goes back, and many of you uh, know this already, but I, I had been married before, and uh, and my then wife got very excited about Quicken, right? And uh, the nerds in the room just smiled. Yeah, I know. That was just me. It was just me. So, so, and this was. Uh, and so th- we were sort of in the, oh, let's put a budget together, right? I was on board with the let's put a budget together. But the execution of that was incredibly uh, frustrating for me uh, in that, um, uh, you know, I got 20 bucks a week to do with as I wanted, <laughs> right? And, and, uh, and then if I spent, if I went to the ATM and got another 20, then I was answering, well, what happened to that 20? What'd you do with that 20? Where'd it go, right? Well, so that was not a harmonious approach. So, uh, so my point is, is, that, is that it's one thing to budget by yourself. You can make your own rules. When you're budgeting with a partner, you sort of have to use those three or four months not only to understand the ups and downs for you, but also to figure out how you're going to work with your partner to make sure that you're both on the same page. Because if you're not on the same page, it will not work. Yeah, and that's, that's a very important piece of the puzzle is you have to be on the same page as your partner. And again... Doesn't matter what page that is, as long as it's the same page, right? As long as you guys are agreeing on what's going on, I think that's super important. So um, one of the things, like we have a budget meeting every month that we talk through, and that's the way we get on the same page. And sometimes we disagree, but we end up finally agreeing on where we need to go. But I think what's important to this is if you're not married, this process will teach you what to look for in somebody, Right? If you start to lean into this, you will not get involved with a sloppy financial person. Because when you have it together, you're looking for somebody who has it together. 
And let me tell you this, you probably want somebody who has it together. So if you don't have it together, you're not very attractive. So I'm just saying. So like Andy Stanley has this phrase he uses. He says, are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? Right? So in the terms of your finances, are you the person, whatever I just said. That I got it right once. I was just, can't try it twice. Can't try it twice. All right. Well, okay. So let's talk savings and investing for a minute. What does God have to say about that, Matt? You speak for him, right? Yeah, do it. So uh, <laughs> do it. Right. Do it. Well, so there's a there's a a, a great example that we know from uh, uh, from the Bible where you've got the 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 ruler who's going to go away and he gives five talents or five. X dollars, whatever you want to, whatever a talent was back then, but thousands of dollars, five to one, three to another, and one to another. And the guy who uh, got five ended up with 10. The guy who got three ended up with six. And the guy who had one went and buried it and ended up with one. And the common is first guy, way to go. Second guy, way to go. Third guy, you screwed it up, right? So there is a thing about growth. Even even if you go back to Adam and Eve in the, in the phrase, and the phrase, be fruitful and multiply, if you think about that, we think about it in terms of families, in terms of having babies. But honestly, if you're going to grow a family, you need to grow the resources. And so I think that the command of God even back then had to do with stewarding and growing the resources that you have available to you so that you could afford to be multiplying. So, so I think God clearly is a God of growth. And let me say this, I think that he's also a God of ambition, right? I want you to hear this. Because I think in Christian, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, in, I think in, in, in Christian circles, oftentimes we think that ambition is a bad word. But ambition is a great word, right? Obviously, you can't have ambition. You, you don't want to do things that conflict with, with God. But frankly, there's so much that God has for us. He has plans and dreams for us that are far beyond what we can imagine. And so, with that in mind, we should be imagining great things and planning for great things for us. So ambition is a great thing. I don't know how we got into that when it, as it pertains to savings. Oh, I know. You're driving this bus, buddy. I know. I Thank know. you. I know. But ambition should be phrased and worded and thought about in the things that you want to do as opposed to the dollars you want to have. Right? I think, I think as you think about saving and investing. The target should never be, I want to save $5 million or a million dollars or $10 million. That's the wrong target. That puts money squarely in the center of, of who you are and what you're working for, right? You want the, what you're going to do with it to be the thing that you're working toward. And the reason is, part of the reason is, is look, we all have a calling on our lives, at least one, right? We all have things God has for us. And if you say, well, I'm not going to do that thing. I want to, you know, I, I want to save money and I want to retire to be able to do something else. Well, then you're never going to enjoy what you're doing until you reach that point. But that's not what calling's about. Calling is about acting on it, not only in the future, but acting on it today all the way along. Right, and so uh, so as as I think about and and part of my history is working in uh, places like Schwab and Fidelity. It was part of my job to make the language around this be find the dollar 
that's your target and then figure out what you need to make that. And as I think about how, frankly, I misdirected a lot of people in terms of making, making that dollar amount be the thing that they're working toward. It left people, you know, frankly, if you were thinking about what dollar I need, you'll make decisions that are very different, that are very different than what it is that I'm called to do, right? You'd stay in terrible jobs and terrible environments. You'd make poor decisions about this and that because you've got your focus in the wrong spot. And you think that you're delaying, that you're rightly delaying acting on that calling until this future point, right? So, so as you're saving and investing, think about what you want to do with it. Savings uh, and investing is important. I think there's no better way. Uh, once you've cleared out the debt, let's make that clear. Getting rid of your debt is the first right thing to do in terms of savings and investing. As you clear out your debt and you start to then take some of that money that used to pay down the debt and start to put it in savings, right? You want to have six months of savings just sitting in a, uh, an account that is paying you something that you can get at quickly for those ups and downs. Let's call let's let's New York this. Three to six months. Three to six months, right? If you lived in a cheap town, six months is great. So so that's fair. So three to six months. But then you'll be able to get beyond that. And then you start investing. And frankly for me, I you know, maybe this is because I spent a long time in the world of stocks and mutual funds and things like that. I think, I think there is no better place for long-term money to be invested than the equity markets. And I tend to use a single index fund to do that. Now, I'm not going to... He's endorsing this. So if you have any problems, his email is matt.sadler. No, I'm kidding. So, all right. You, so you, you brushed over something very quickly. And I just, since it's a super tactical thing... Like, let's say hypothetically, we're in the place where we're building an emergency fund, right? And so you said three to six months of expenses, and you said accessible. So we're talking about liquidity, like, because it might be like, oh, I've got three to six months. That's a decent chunk of change in New York. Like, do I put that in an investment? Like, is that my best place? Or do I put it in a bank account? Do I put, like, so why would I do one or the other? So I think for your three to six months, you put it into a bank account. Now, you could go online and find bank accounts that are paying one and a half or 2% right now, which doesn't sound like a great amount of money, but it's actually, you know, it's, a, it's better it's a than windfall. what you would get, frankly. It's, it's a, a windfall. windfall. And if you, were to, if you were to walk over to your local Chase branch, my, anybody work for Chase here? They're it's not going to pay you that much, right? Them. Yeah, so. Uh, just kidding. So, I don't use Chase. Because uh, they're terrible. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you think about the fact. Okay, should I should I go on this rant? Think about yes. think about the fact the that short rant. Think about the fact that that Chase or any of these large banks will will pay two percent on savings, but they'll charge you twenty two percent to borrow it. It's like, <laughs> hmm, no wonder they make a lot of money. Anyway, um, they uh, own the biggest buildings around. They do, but but there are savings accounts that you could that you can research online to find a better rates and put it there and it still is accessible to you and i say accessible you need to be able to get your hands on it within a few days notice not i want a jamba juice and i ran out of cash right not that kind of money jamba juice if you need to dip into savings for jamba juice we are having a different conversation back to the foolish thing uh, no but okay so but why would you not want it in the market well, because the market goes up and down, right? So, so it is, right now the market's very hot. Now the market could continue to be very hot for the next six years, right? You never know. But it's also not, it would not surprise me if the market goes down 10% from where it is. Well, so if you are putting three to six months of savings in there, let's say you're putting in 15,000 bucks, 
or you put in 15,000 bucks um, and suddenly the market goes down 10 or 12 or 15 percent, you look at that and you go, holy moly, that's, I just lost $2,000. Well, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. My, my parents, I remember when they first bought their first stock, sorry again, first bought their first stock, believe it or not, it was a, a, an old Mexican chain restaurant called Chi-Chi's. That was, yeah. All right. Any fans? Okay. All the stocks out there. So, so. Chi-Chi's. This. <laughs> that's where we, that's their first choice. That's right. That was their first choice. So, so, so this, we like Mexican food. So this, Apparently. this, uh, this was before they had put aside money, three to six expense, three to six months of expenses. So this was real money to them. They put money into that, and you know what happened? Chi Chi died. Chi Chi died. Right? Uh, Chi Chi went down, and 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 they couldn't sleep. Right? They couldn't. It it tore them up, and they finally ended up taking. Now it wasn't huge money. It was probably in you know it was they probably lost five hundred bucks on it, which back then was a lot of money, and to them it was a whole lot of money. Um, but it tore them up the fact that they had that exposure in the market on money that they were counting on. So that's why you need, before you start investing in the market, if you have three to six uh, months of cushion there, then you have the ability to ride the market's ups and downs, right? Because the markets will go up, they will go down. Over the long term, obviously the objective or the goal is that it's going to go like this and this is what we've seen and we're not making any promises about the future of course but this is what we've seen but it goes like this on the way to it um but uh but you've got to be able to withstand that which is where that emergency fund comes in handy right okay so back to the idea of what you were talking about for calling i think this is super important so right when we're talking about investing it's easy to get lost in the weeds but here's the big picture is Imagine if your mind was not preoccupied with financial things and you could have clarity with what you were putting your hand to. That's why you do this. That's why you put the plan in place. That's why you get out of debt so you're not focused on that. That's why you put the emergency fund in place so that you're not worried about a storm because you're prepared for the storm. That's why you save for the future so that you don't have to worry about the future. So it's about being present and it's about being able to bring your full self to the table for whatever it is that God's calling you to do. And it's hard to do that when we are constantly focused on financial things. I know it's been that way for me. It's easy for me to get wrapped up and caught up in those things. And back to your original point of making sure that it's not a dollar figure thing or it's not something like we're trying to do this for the wrong reasons. The only way that we do this for the right reasons is if the gospel is at the center of what it is that we're doing. If we are not rooted in understanding God first, then we will make us first decisions, right? And so that's what the gospel does. When we surrender our life to Jesus, we say, we don't have it all figured out. We know that left to our own devices, we make choices to head in the wrong direction. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, we are free to be able to pursue God's things first for our benefit. And that is the root of everything. If we get that single piece right, then we get clarity everywhere else. And we can trust God. We can take him at his word to do wise things instead of foolish things with our money. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we get to be able to learn from each other, to learn from you, that you give us the freedom 
to be able to actually make choices, that you actually give us free will to be able to learn these things on our own so that it can root in our hearts and our lives. And God, I pray that we will be people of tremendous wisdom, that we will make decisions that are different than the world so that we can have an impact for your kingdom in our lives, in our families' lives, in the spheres of influence that we find ourselves in. God, let us be wise stewards of what you've placed in our hands. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.